Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to my podcast. I hope you're doing well today. Here is another episode to give you some listening practice. This one features a conversation at normal speed about a specific topic relating to British culture. Now, if you're looking for lessons from me specifically about language, English vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation practice, then check out my premium episodes. You can sign up to Luke's English Podcast Premium by going to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium. The premium episodes always involve specific language teaching from me. These free episodes, like the one you're listening to now, they might have language teaching too, but also they often just feature more conversational content about topics which I hope will be interesting and motivating for you. But if it's specific language teaching stuff you're looking for, then check out my premium episodes. So what about this episode today? Well, it's all about Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney from the Beatles and Wings. The rock star Paul McCartney, or Sir Paul McCartney, in fact. He turned 80 this year, 80 years old. And around the time of his birthday earlier this year, I received a few messages from listeners asking me to record an episode about him. And of course, as a big Paul McCartney fan, I am well up for this. I think it's a great idea. I did a few episodes last year about John Lennon, so it's only right that I would also do something about Paul McCartney. So let's talk about this absolute legend of music, a British national treasure, an international star, one of the most well-known British people in the world with the Queen, and someone who we are lucky to have with us in the world performing music, releasing new songs, and generally entertaining and inspiring us. Let's talk about Sir Paul McCartney and try to put into words why he is such a beloved and significant figure. With the John Lennon episodes last year, I spoke to Anthony Rotuno, who has a John Lennon podcast, which is called Glass Onion on John Lennon. And so for this one, I thought I would do a similar thing and interview a Paul McCartney podcaster. And so my guest today is Sam Wiles, who hosts the Paul or Nothing podcast, a podcast dedicated to the life and work of Paul McCartney. Actually, Sam and Anthony already know each other. They did a couple of episodes together for their podcasts a while ago, which I heard and really enjoyed. And Anthony said that Sam would be a great guest for my show. So here we go. I've heard a few episodes of Sam's podcast, Paul or Nothing, and I always enjoy listening to it. Sam is full of enthusiasm, knowledge and passion for his subject. He's very articulate, as you will hear. He uses a wide variety of vocabulary and he has the gift of the gab. The gift of the gab, which means that he can certainly talk and talk, 
which is what you want from a podcast guest. But get ready, because I predict that this one could be a challenge for you, depending on your level of English. By the way, just in case you're listening to this and you're not familiar with my podcast, I don't know, maybe I'll be attracting some sort of new listeners to this one. My show, this show, is for learners of English, and I like to present natural conversations and monologues as listening practice for learners of English around the world. So, for some of my listeners, this episode could be a challenge, and I say that because Sam speaks pretty quickly. He has a slight regional accent as well, and learners of English often find that more difficult. His, his accent's not that strong, but um, it might be enough to pose an extra level of challenge for some listeners. And in our conversation, we make references to some things that you might not know about, like Paul McCartney's work, the names of his albums, the names of songs, the names of projects, the names of other people in Paul's life, and so on. So this one might be a challenge for you for those reasons. When you're listening to something in English, right, and you don't understand what you're hearing, it might be for various reasons. Obviously, it might just be that your, you know, your level of English isn't quite ready for that recording or that conversation, and you just lack the vocabulary and, and the rest of it. Or it just might be that you are unfamiliar with the spoken version of English, that you just haven't done enough listening practice in your life. And so English, the, the, you know, the oral version of English is sort of foreign and strange and difficult to, to uh, comprehend just because your listening skills aren't up to scratch. But also it could be because the, uh, the way that the people are speaking is quite fast or if they're speaking with a, a certain accent that you're not familiar with. Or it might be that the reference points, the things that they're talking about, are not familiar to you. So like this, for example, if you're not familiar with Paul McCartney's life and work, then, as I said, you know, there might be just certain references that you don't understand. And that can also make things more difficult. Um, so this one might be a challenge for you for those reasons. But, you know, as usual, I really hope you stick with this as hopefully there will be plenty for you to learn and enjoy from this chat, you know. And how do you develop your listening skills, your vocabulary and your your sort of cultural knowledge? How do you develop those things? Well, you do it by sort of, learn, you know, listening to, to things that you didn't know about before and expanding uh, your skills and also your cultural reference points. So hopefully this will, you know, help you do that. The aims of this conversation are on the one hand, to explain the appeal of Paul McCartney, and on the other hand, to simply present an enthusiastic conversation about him. First, you'll hear me get to know Sam a little bit, including where in England he comes from. Then I ask Sam how he got into the Beatles and why he chose to focus on Paul McCartney in particular for his podcast. I ask Sam to give us a short history of Paul's life, which he does with amazing speed. He manages to cram a lot of important moments and events in Paul's whole life into just a few minutes. It's a bit of a whirlwind tour of Paul's career. We talk about how Paul's image has changed over the years, why he is now, arguably, more celebrated than at any other time in his life. And then we share a few stories and anecdotes about Paul McCartney, 
seeing him perform live, moments when people we know have met him, and some of our favourite Paul McCartney stories. And of course, there are some Paul McCartney impressions or caricatures where we copy Paul's voice and mannerisms. You know, Paul McCartney impressions. Long-term listeners will know that I just can't help myself in that department. I just can't help doing, you know, the sort of Paul McCartney voice thing, you know. Um, There is a video version of this on YouTube as well, and that's just the conversation part with Sam. This wonderful introduction that you're listening to right now is only available in the audio version. And that's also true for the bit where I ramble at the end. And I will be doing a bit of a ramble at the end of this episode too. Uh, Those bits, you know, the bits at the beginning and the end, those are only in this audio version. The video is just the conversation with Sam. And Have a look at that video, though, because the visual elements might help you. And, you know, also, you just really need to check out Sam's shirt and his Zoom background image as well. Okay, so that's enough of an introduction from me. Are you ready now? Are you ready for some intense listening practice to meet my wonderful guest, Sam Wiles, and to learn a thing or two about the living legend that is Paul McCartney? I hope you are ready because it's time to start. And so, here we go. So, hello, Sam. Nice to speak to you. Nice to meet you. Welcome onto my podcast. No, thank you for having me. This It's nice to do something a little bit different where I haven't had to prepare for two weeks to get a whole script ready to talk about Paul McCartney. It's nice. Yeah, very nice. I'm going to start by asking you where you come from. I mean, we don't really know each other. We haven't met before. I've listened mm-hmm. to, like, not all of your episodes, but, you know, quite a few of them um, and enjoy them all. But uh, where, where do you come from? I ask that because it's nice for my listeners to get an idea of uh, the uh, locate, you know, uh, the origin of your accent, let's say. Well, I'm actually uh, mocked quite regularly amongst peers for not particularly having the Birmingham accent. When I get a little more upset, then it starts to come out a bit. But um, I'm from Birmingham, which is the central city in the UK. It's the second city. It's, it used to be the industrial hub of the UK. Most of the country's guns and leather historically came from came from Birmingham. Uh, in relation to Paul McCartney, he has a lyric um, in the classic song Band on the Run and Sailor Sam from Birmingham. That's me. I'm Sailor Sam from Birmingham. I, I, I was born very close to where Denny Lane, his guitarist in Wings, was born. And uh, yeah, it's always annoying though because McCartney never seems to come to Birmingham on his tours. He always does Manchester, Liverpool and London. I think right. our, our, our stadium's just not quite big enough for him. Yeah, and I suppose he sort of thinks, well, people can just travel just up north a little bit, and there you go. Pity though. Which whereabouts in Birmingham though? So I'm uh, I'm in between Walsall and Brown Hills, which is a little town called Aldridge. Um, so okay. Okay. yeah, lots of lots of old people. It's a it's it's a very uh, it's a very pensionary part part of the country. But my parents got the house a, a, a good deal. We got a nice side garden to the envy of everyone in the neighbourhood as well. Very happy to be living here, to, to uh, be honest. I'm from the Midlands as well. I'm from just the other side uh, of Birmingham to you. So I'm from the sort of Solly Hole, right on the edge of Solly Hole. Solly Hall. I used to do uh, charity canvassing back then. Uh, canvassing may, may, maybe not a common word. It's where you... 
canvas, you do a whole area, and I had to go door to door, uh, getting people to sign up for charities that they may not have already wanted to. Solihull was not a good area for it, so no. because anywhere where there's money, it doesn't do well. And Solihull was always seen to be a place where there was lots of uh, yeah. nice, nice neighbourhoods. Posh ends. Where, yes. But if you go to Northampton, the kind of doldrums of the universe, uh, <laughs> and go to, a, go to a council flat there, you'll get 12 sign-ups in a day because people know what it's like to be poor there. But if you go to Kenilworth, say, in yeah. Coventry, yeah. uh, you will get no sign-ups at all. There'll be a guy stood next to his Bentley or his Beamer, and he'll be saying, I can't afford it. Can't, can't afford it. Or he'll say, this is why I've, I've got a Bentley, because I haven't been giving money to the likes of you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> do you get paid for this? Yes, I do. Well, then it's not really a charity, is it? And I, oh, I, I, could n- I could never refute that. It was always a really... It was, the, it was the Uno card that always aced me, that one. The argument that you can't really argue against. So you were one of those guys persuading people to sign up to charities. And you actually yeah. went door to door. You weren't just in the street going, Hi! You were going no, door to door. Couldn't, couldn't do that. I couldn't. The the street one. Um, I suffer slightly from agoraphobia, so I've got to keep on the move when I'm outside. Yeah, and I could. I could not just stand in one spot like that. There's a very classic episode of an American cartoon called Recess, where one of the kids is uh, forced to sit in the box where it's just as like a punishment and all the walls suddenly rise up around him and if I'm in one place too long outside without having imbibed in some sort of mind-altering substance that can tend to happen buildings tend to get a lot bigger and cave over me and stuff like that so I could not do that but the door-to-door stuff I did that basically I used to work in a supermarket called Morrison's and then I got a new partner and she lived in Coventry and we were already talking about moving in together and then I was unceremoniously asked to leave uh, for what they called starting a criminal conspiracy. What? Yeah, um, I was 17 at the time, maybe 18. Actually, no, I was probably more like 19. Uh, I was just about to start university. And I taught all the young lads how to steal vouchers from the voucher machines. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the the uh, the Statue of Limitations on this has all passed by now, surely, but... Yeah, that was that was a very naughty part of my life. And but if you were my friend at that time around Christmas, you were probably getting three to four bottles of hard liquor each. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. Um, and then I had, I had to find employment very fast. And uh, charity canvassing is always a trade that's got a high turnover. They need people right away. And then after that, I settled into the hotel trade, into the service industry, to which I am still in today, in one form or another. Yeah, so, so you work in a, it's a hotel or a uh, pub? I work, I work in a pub right now, a, yeah. a public house here in the UK. Pub culture is very kind of UK specific. Yeah, um, Yeah, it would, okay. it would, the closest thing would just be, it is a bar, but also a restaurant and a, a social gathering place would probably be the third thing to uh, yeah. to put there as well. I worked in a lot of pubs as well uh, in my time. Um, but as well as working in the pub, you also do your podcast, which is called Paul or Nothing. The place to get all of your Paul all of the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I'm, I've invited you onto the, the podcast to talk about Paul McCartney um, because it's it was his 80th birthday very recently, just mm-hmm. last week, in fact. Four days ago. Yeah. Four days ago now. And uh, 
So you do your podcast about Paul McCartney. What do you, what's, well, I was going to say, what's the podcast about? But I've just answered that question. It's about Paul McCartney. But what do you, what typically what happens in your episodes? So the show originally started out as just plain, simple album reviews back in its infancy. But very quickly, it encompassed uh, interviews with people who write books about Paul McCartney, interviews with bandmates, uh, talking about every movie he's ever been in, talking about uh, books he's written, paintings he's done, uh, gigs he's done, talking about certain tours. There's so much you, you can cover. The the man has the most resplendent career ever. There's a real embarrassment of riches when it comes to talking about Paul McCartney because you've got you know his studio albums, you've got albums he's released under a, under another name, a pseudonym, if you will. You've got the dance music, the classical music. There is so much to cover. I've been doing it half a decade now, and I'm only just entering the 2000s, uh, having eschewed not doing quite a lot of stuff, actually. So there's definitely enough stuff to uh, keep to keep me going, to, to, to the point whereby I'm actually re-reviewing older albums as uh, filler content, as it were. Like, if I've got a week where I know I'm not going to be able to get this bigger episode out on time, okay, I'll put on McCartney 2 again with no notes and just riff on it for about the entire length of the album. Yeah. Uh, which is good, because it also skirts past copyright law, because I'm talking over it and its critical analysis. Yeah. But it, but it also allows people, to, you know, to still have, you know... In the background while they're listening to uh, to the music as well, but yeah, anything, no matter how tenuously linked to to, to Paul McCartney, I will gladly discuss. I'm trying to get into more heavy learned topics. Uh, last night, I did uh, a conversation about Linda McCartney's portrayal in the media, which was very interesting because I, I got given a load of sources that I would not normally be privy to. Um, but. Going, going back to sources, as the episodes have gone on, and as we've gotten closer to the modern day, so many more sources have made themselves available just because of the internet. And so the McCartney and Ram uh, episodes are one-parters. They're about two hours long. Mm. Then I came up to Red Rose Speedway, which I had my first co-host on. That one quickly went up to three hours. Then I've, you've got my, uh, let's say tug of war era those are two two and a half hour episodes and now with flaming pie and soon to be driving rain it's three two plus maybe three hour episodes just to cover one album and everything he was doing around that time um i've i've been plugging the driving rain part one episode for a while now just because i think it's quite funny as it's literally just going to be three depressing topics it's going to be the the death of linda mccartney Mm. the introduction of heather mills and mccartney's experience of the september 11th attacks it's really going to be a downer episode it's not going to be fun at all yeah because i guess in his life there have been ups and downs and as you go through his career, talking about the different albums and work that he's done, then mm-hmm. you'll be kind of hitting those peaks and troughs as well, I suppose, in, in the episodes. Yeah, when, when you've got someone who is as like, just ever-present in the culture as McCartney, you can't just... Like, I could review a Kasabian album and just look at it in a vacuum and be like, OK, these are the songs that, like, Serge has written and Tom has sung. Not Tom anymore, he's been kicked out of the band. But... 
you know, you, you can kind of do that. Whereas with McCartney, he's been here since he's already revolutionised the world once. So it, it, you'd, you'd be remiss in not making sure that you've covered everything going on in his personal life because that will inform everything that's going onto the album. Like with my last episode, Linda's dying. So Flaming Pie, oh, shock horror, there's a bunch of sad, mournful love songs on it. And then coming up to Driving Rain, there's lots of songs about losing your loved one and finding new love. And if you don't explain who Heather Mills is and you don't explain that Linda's died, then the album review segment's going to be awfully long, like seven hours, because then you're going to have to fit that into each individual song review. Yes, yeah. Um, I'm aware that, you know, uh, uh, my listeners who are not necessarily all Beatle fans or... They who are they? Who are these people? Who are these people? Where are they? Um, that they, they might not understand anything that we're talking about, Sam. I think what we should maybe do mm-hmm. is I'm going to ask you some sort of basic questions, let's say, just to establish a bit of context. And then I'm going to ask you to tell us about Paul McCartney's life. Let's try and keep this as brief as possible. It's difficult because both of us do like to ramble when we speak, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I so- love the sound of my own voice. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's start with this question. Um, are you a Beatle fan as well as a Paul McCartney fan? You can't not be. So um, my dad introduced me to the Beatles at a very young age. Uh, my mom would play Beatles singles all the time as her mother would play Beatles singles when she was a lass and I was well I knew the Beatles but then when I was about 16 I lent my friend my iPod Nano which does date the story to a very certain period of of, uh, history you know Lady Gaga's Born This Way is on the radio and he puts on Revolver onto my iPod Nano and that was it that was completely it. I was done. I was sold. That was also when I got into Tom Waits as well. So in one download, my entire life's work was was basically formed. And he's never let me forget that, this person. Yeah, he's never let me forget the fact that he's basically shaped my entire life. Um, but yeah, you, you have to be a Beatle fan to be a Paul fan, mostly just because Paul was arguably the most influential Beatle as well. Lennon started the band, Lennon controlled the band and influenced the band for their first half, but then kind of from Sgt. Pepper onwards, also kind of through Revolver as well. McCartney starts to pick up the reins as Lennon gets bored, as Lennon slowly starts to lose influence. And then you get things like Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which was McCartney's idea to be a different band. You've got the Magical Mystery Tour, which was McCartney's idea. You've got the Get Back Sessions, which were McCartney's idea. And, you know, suddenly you see that the albums start start to become dominated by the cute Beatle. And, I mean, I've always seen McCartney as the greatest Beatle right from the get-go. One of their earliest albums, A Hard Day's Night, You've got something like nine or ten original songs by John Lennon and three by Paul McCartney, and those three are the easily the best on the album, quite, indis- quite indis- indisputably. Uh-huh. Uh, which is ironic because McCartney can bash out very mediocre songs on a whim, and yet for that album he just decided to do three absolute bangers. Yeah, brilliant. Um, next thing. So, all right, let's, should we cover... Should we try and deal with Paul's uh, story just to help people keep up with us um, I'm going to do an Ace Ventura reference here by going born on 18th of June 1942 Paul McCartney was born to a working class Liverpool family all of his family liked music and um, 
his dad bought him a trumpet and he, he decided to give up the trumpet and play guitar and piano because those are instruments you can sing. His dad wanted him to play an instrument because that makes you cool at the parties at a fateful fate, um, a kind of uh, summer... Just describe a fate. Yeah, a just, summer... A summer gathering. Sort um, of a summer party where there's music being played by a band on the stage and maybe there are uh, places where you can get food and lemonade and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, he meets John Lennon. John Lennon, of course, being the other, arguably one of the greatest singer-songwriters of all time. Together they form a band with the Beatles uh, called uh, well, The Quarrymen at the time. Paul brings his young friend George Harrison into the band. They go to Germany. And then after a while they come back. They add uh, Richard Starkey, known as Ringo Starr, into the band. Boom, they become... The Beatles. There are many other characters along the way that I've had to already excise from this story that are key to the narrative, but we move on. Um, in 1962, they released Please Please Me, and, you know, Beatlemania takes off pretty much straight away. They dominate the north of England, then the whole of England, then Europe, and then they go over to America, famously appearing on the Ed Sullivan show, and they just have the most unbroken string of number ones until the modern era with like the likes of Rihanna and Lady Gaga and Ariana Grande and stuff like that. But they did not have nearly the the technological reach that a lot of these acts have. You, you, you could only listen to the Beatles on your TV, on your record player, or maybe in the cinema, uh, as well as releasing 10 number one albums that outsold everything that ever sold ever. The Beatles released four films during their time in which they acted in. One of them was a documentary and they just dominated the world. Then towards the end, they needed a new manager because their manager died of a drug overdose in 67, I believe. John, George and Ringo wanted the Rolling Stones old manager Alan Klein to take over. Paul, by this time, who had, who had already met his future wife, the lovely Linda, would rather have her father, who was of the great Eastman um, law firm. And that caused a huge split in the band. There were already other cracks going on there. I mean, the death of their original manager is what I signal as the death of the Beatles. But, you know, they were already going through different influences, different interests. They all had new wives and girlfriends that they were more interested in. Uh, a, a lot of people put the blame on Yoko Ono, which I think is a woefully mis mis miscalculated diagnosis. But the band breaks up. McCartney has to sue the other Beatles. Uh, as well as this new manager to keep control of his stake in the company and his influence. He goes into a, a recluse state in Scotland for about a year until he comes back with the McCartney album. And this album is one of the very first Beatles solo records. Uh, George technically had a couple before this. Paul himself had also had a film soundtrack that he has somewhat scored with George Martin, the family way before this as well. But the McCartney album signalled the new version of the 70s version of the Beatles, which is they're all just going to be doing their own thing. And between uh, 70 and 72, you get the McCartney album and Ram, arguably the greatest of all of the solo McCartney records ever. Technically, it was also a, a duet with his uh, partner, Linda, at the time, who we'd now married. He'd also adopted her uh, child from a previous marriage, which is just the most darling thing that any of the Beatles probably ever did in the, in, in the, in the public sphere. 
then after that, he forms Wings, which was his band up until about 1980. Linda's in the band. You've got Denny Lane from my hometown, Birmingham, and a complete revolving door of other members who last between a year to about three years each. Wings has little success for the first couple of years. Then they release Band on the Run, which is arguably one of the most iconic albums of all time. It's always in Rolling Stones or Q Magazine's top 500 albums, normally in the 350 mark. It's never up in the top 10 like a lot of the Beatles albums are. But uh, Band on the Run does really well. Venus and Mars, the next album, does really well. That launches them onto a, a world tour, Wings Over the World, the biggest tour of all time at the time, uh, covering all of Europe, and all of North America. So many people who I've had on my podcast even still remember back to that to those to those nineteen seventy six shows. And he's never really topped it in terms of scale or proportionate scale, I guess, because obviously other acts caught up by that time and then started to outdo him. I, I believe the Rolling Stones or Taylor Swift has still has the biggest tours ever. Maybe even Madonna as well. Uh, then after that, Wings go into a bit of a decline, a bit of a stagnation. Um, you know, punk and new wave come in and rap comes in and suddenly they they find themselves a little more irrelevant. Wings split up in 79-80 after McCartney gets busted uh, trying to sneak weed in or marijuana into Japan. That's a whole saga. Mm-hmm. Then uh, in the interim period, as you, as you can see by your host shirt here, uh, he, he records McCartney 2 on his own wearing the like, t-shirt listeners then yeah. uh, video viewers can see this but uh, yeah McCartney 2 being arguably the second greatest solo McCartney record uh, he releases that in 1980 and this spurs him on to become a solo act and from 1982's tug of war we have what is known as the modern McCartney album an album of rock songs pop songs baroque uh, classical tunes uh, weird country tunes an entire mixture of everything McCartney was never John Lennon he didn't just want to make rock and roll records he wasn't George Harrison he didn't want to make records for Krishna he Paul just wants to make the broadest possible album for the broadest possible audience and in film that regularly results in tripe it really it really does because you know conveying a story to a broad audience of different tastes and uh, sensibilities always ends up in a very mixed model vision but even when Paul does a 10 minute experimental techno song then going into a straight up rocker then going into a full orchestral ballad because it's him and his voice is so strong and so prominent and I don't mean his literal voice I mean his voice as an author and as a writer and as a composer it's so strong that it feels completely cohesive and there are very few artists that are able to do that uh, he's he's a real uh, renaissance man in that sense a real maestro there's nothing he's attempted that he's really failed at and you know from 82's tug of war you have uh, a real high point along with pipes of peace collaborations with stevie wonder and michael jackson around that time you've got the lull of the mid 80s which is when he released his own film and soundtrack give my regards to broadly was a massive bomb uh, you, then you had uh, press to play which was, which was also a commercial failure and critical failure then he had a resurgence in 89 with flowers in the dirt which launched uh, another largest ever worldwide tour um 
Then he followed that up with another large tour, but a not-so-successful album. Then we had the Flaming Pie era, another high point of McCartney's career. This is unfortunately where his wife is diagnosed with breast cancer. And unfortunately, the advances that we've made since uh, were not able to save her. We lost her in 98. He releases a solo album of all of her uh, in so, solo recordings, which is a really fun little un- underrated album that I recommend mm. everyone go and check out. What's it called? Wide Prairie. Okay. And uh, she does a little cowboy accent on the song Wide Prairie. Yeah, it's, it's um, cute. L- Linda's an interesting character. Around this time, he meets his second wife, Heather Mills, who is basically the devil at this point in terms of her portrayal in both the British media and the wider Beatle media. Yeah. Um, he, he releases Driving Rain, Memory Almost Full, loads of modern albums, doing okay-ish throughout the 2000s. And then when you come to new in about 2012, 2013, suddenly he becomes the darling of the media again. Suddenly all of his albums go straight to number one, either in the UK or in America. And now he's on the front cover of every magazine again. He seems to be more famous now. Definitely not as famous as he was when he was a Beatle, but as a solo act, he's arguably more famous now than he ever has been. And now he's doing things like writing children's books. He's got a play coming out, uh, a live live production of... um, it's a Wonderful Life, which we haven't heard about for a couple of years, but it's definitely happening. Um, you've got Egypt Station that went to number one. You've got McCartney 3 that went to number one uh, in, in in 2020. McCartney 1970, McCartney 2, 1980, McCartney 3, 2020. Mm. Uh, he's he's going to be headlining Glastonbury very soon after a after another very successful tour in the United States. The, the Got Back Tour, Baby Got Back, if you will. And yeah, he's he's doing all right. He's doing all right. Is this Paul? Uh, you know, he's he's dabbled into avant-garde music, um, orchestral scores. He's done dance music, and he's done a jazz album. He's done a country album, a rock and roll covers album. There's nothing he hasn't touched and made brilliant. Amazing, uh, Sam. Amazing. Oh, and that is without any notes, everyone. That is just off the old dome. And he didn't oh breathe gosh. either, listeners, throughout that entire speech. <sighs> No, no. <laughs> um, and and McCartney doesn't drink during his live shows either. The man is eighty years old, and he will perform for three hours and doesn't have a sip of water. Yeah, how exactly. does he? How does he do it? How does he yeah. do it? This is one of the things I'm amazed by with Paul is that he's got so much energy, and he mm-hmm. just. I mean, it's incredible how he. No, it, it's really awful because it's like, oh no, it's that healthy living thing. No, it can't be true. It can't be true. Not eating meat and having a healthy vegetarian diet has allowed him to, and Ringo as well, to stay as lithe as they still are. It's uh, vegeta- it's, they're both vegetarians, right? Yes. Ringo uh, and Paul. Yes. It's, yeah. uh, it's, it's rather annoying. Although I am myself trying to go into more meat uh, replacement supplements with the Linda McCartney food range. Uh, it's Everyone always gives me flack for just doing it because it's McCartney. But those sausages and those mozzarella burgers, oh my God, they are the best things ever. If they're available in your country, I definitely recommend you go check them out. Yeah, listeners, Linda McCartney sort of was a, a famous vegetarian before it was cool. And uh, she had a range, and still does, uh, a range of uh, vegetarian uh, foods called the, mm. the Linda McCartney range. 
Yeah, so I, think- I, I believe so. It, it, it might be called different things in different territories. Yeah. Okay. Um, can we talk about uh, uh, the sort of public perception of Paul? So these days he's uh, he's celebrated. Obviously, it's his 80th birthday year, and so he is being celebrated. He's he's headlining Glastonbury. Lots of articles have been written recently, sort of reappraising. Uh, how we all see Paul McCartney these days. How has his image changed over the years, do you think? Well, in the early 60s, he was just the cute Beatle who was on the bass. Uh, Then he writes and uh, records Yesterday, and that was off the Help album in 65, and everything changes from that point. Suddenly, he is the maestro he is the mozart of his era all all of a sudden because yesterday came to him in a dream one night fully composed he uh, he added the words uh, after he replaced the filler words uh, scrambled eggs how i love your lovely legs that became yesterday uh, when my troubles seem so far away and from from that point onwards he was completely just regarded as arguably the greatest songwriter in the beatles then around the time of 1970 onwards he was quite derided in the rock, in the rock criticism circle because he was seen to be uh, the one who broke up the Beatles because he was suing the other Beatles. But as history has shown us, it was a much more two-way split, a much more acrimonious split, um, and there were other th- other factors in play. But since he was the one going against the other three, and he was eventually proved right, everyone, he did not trust the Rolling Stones manager to manage the Beatles because he was going to be stealing money from them, which he turned out to be doing yeah. so he, he has been eventually vindicated on almost all fronts um it's been widely known that paul was actually the first one to get into the avant-garde scene it wasn't lennon you know with things like revolution nine that kind of thing uh then during the mid-70s wings had a, a, a real uh height of success uh, between band on the run and venus and mars and and the world tour they all did very well um he did get a little bit of derision for including Linda in his band. Linda McCartney was not a musician by any means. Paul taught her a bit of keys here and there, and she'd just do, uh, you know, a few uh, keyboard lines here and there, like like she might do that in Band on the Run, and that's about it for the whole song. Yeah, um, but. <laughs> You know, the the idea that he would have his wife in the band just so they can be together and she can be this rock of support for him, I think is one of the most romantic gestures it, throughout history. I really do think it's 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 absolutely adorable. Yeah. Uh, then in the 80s, he just couldn't get the hits anymore. His last number one, I, I believe, was No More Lonely Nights. Uh and then he had a, a minor success with the Spies Like Us song, uh, a, a forgotten Dan Aykroyd, Chevy Chase movie from the 80s. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. I remember my brother and I were quite excited about the film. We were fans <laughs> of Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase. And then and Paul McCartney did the song for it. So, yeah, we were delighted with that. But, yeah, that's yes. kind of disappeared in people's memories, pretty much. Very obscure moment for Paul. As has most of Paul's 80s career. Yeah. I mean, people only really... I mean, you get any Beatles album and people can name you five or six songs off each one, even without being a diehard fan. Yet, if we look at post-1980 McCartney, all there is really is coming up from McCartney 2, Ebony and Ivory from Tug of War. Stevie Wonder. With the one with Stevie Wonder. 
uh, Pipes of Peace, the title track of Pipes of Peace, because that had a very, very good music video, uh, back when music videos actually meant something, and back when MTV actually stood for music television. Uh, there was Say, 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 the collaboration with Michael Jackson. Then it's No More Lonely Nights. And then you've got nothing really up until Flaming Pie. Um, yeah. I mean, in in European territories, the single "Hope for Deliverance" from 1993 uh, did very well. It got to like number one in like Germany and Belgium, and did did very well in France and Austria and stuff. But yeah, he he just really couldn't get the hits again. And now in the modern era, Paul has managed to. I'm going to call it game the system. He's managed to play the market against itself and make himself more relevant through the sale of vinyl. Because as as we all know, one download equals one download. One CD equals about, I think it's about 100 or 1,000 downloads. And the sale of one vinyl record counts as like 10 CDs in terms of the charts. Oh, really? So what McCartney does is he releases the same album most notably with McCartney 3, 14 times. There will be 14 different coloured variations of the same album, some with like a bonus song on it or something, and that boosts him up the charts massively. I don't judge him for this. Um, you know, he's also been known to like do the whole, you buy a ticket to my show, you get a copy of the album, something that Prince started, a great right. way, a great way to shift vinyl. And... Yeah through that not only because all these albums were always going to be critical darlings at this point in in his life he's, he's the elder statesman Beatle but I think it is cool during the, the time when I'm a fan when I'm making content about Paul he's now the critical commercial darling uh, even if it's not like everyone in the country's got one copy of his album it's more like one in ten people have ten copies of the album yeah uh, yeah 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 which, yeah which which I fell into um the morality of it uh, seems to be shifting very quickly, though, especially as the world economy seems to be taking a downturn uh, due to events happening worldwide. Uh, so it's prob- Paul McCartney's next album is probably going to be recorded and sold in China next to really get that sold, I, 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 yeah. I imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, obviously, you're convinced uh, of... Uh, you're convinced that Paul is a, a great thing. I'm a fan as well. But uh, what do you think people misunderstand about Paul? It's, it seems that there is a, still a certain kind of... May, um, even though he is the commercial and critical darling these days, I still feel that perhaps people still sort of get the wrong idea about him. Do you know what I mean? W- what do people misunderstand about Paul, do you think? <sighs> One, it's ageism. They just don't. They, they don't want to hear that one of the best albums of two years ago was recorded by a seventy-eight-year-old man during lockdown, which it was. Uh, although my, as I confess, my knowledge of the wider music scene these days is woefully under-researched. Um, my kind of musical knowledge ends at about two thousand and six. I, I, I guess, like when I was still young and watching TV and music video. Like you know, I, I used to watch a lot of VH one and. TV and stuff like that and right. I got so much knowledge from that um, whenever I talk to my friends about a song they'll, 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 they'll be like oh do you know Miss You by Blink Whatever I'm like yeah so the music video goes like this I'm like oh no no we just know the song yeah. um, that's how I used uh, I'm probably the last dregs of the music video era I guess 
But um, the other one is just the I- the idea that this kind of very uncontroversial figure. Um, very, I mean, he's he, he's uncontroversial. He's very safe. Your parents like him. Your grandparents like him, and you can like him, which isn't something that rebellious teens particularly want to delve into at all. At all, You're like yeah. why, why? Why would you want something that you're allowed to listen to? Uh, he, you know, he um, and yet, you know, he did find great success with Kanye West and Rihanna a few years ago with a song called Four or Five Seconds." Um, he also collaborated with Kanye on two other songs. Uh, only one and all day uh, all day won best rap performance at the Grammys um, which was hilarious for me because that was a song with more expletives than McCartney's entire career <laughs> and isn't, isn't the collaboration with Kanye a bit sort of funny because I don't know which song it was but Paul has told this story where he's just like hanging out with Kanye playing his guitar a little bit on the sofa Kanye's got his iPhone on the table recording everything Mm -hmm. and Paul just sort of like is strumming a little bit and then at the end of the evening it's like all right, Kanye we'll see you later you know I don't know if you can do anything with that recording and then the song comes out and it's got like some of the extracts of what Paul was playing but like uh, um, the tone has been changed it's been sort of sped up or something and yeah. it's almost unrecognisable to Paul, but this is it. This is the collaboration with Paul and and Kanye, and it's a huge hit. Yeah, Kanye West is unironically probably my third or fourth favourite artist living. I I, I adore his work. Um, it's it's somewhat vicarious for me as a nerdy pasty white guy living in the UK to listen to this heavy hip hop. Yeah, uh, but I find that I, I, I find that Kanye is is very palatable i guess when compared to a lot of stuff his his uh, cultural references are very wide he's more of a producer than a rapper i'd say mm-hmm. and so i just i find it to be very very alluring and I, I mean if you look at all of my friends uh, and and and, and here is there's always this undercurrent of arrogance and i'm really attracted to arrogance and confidence and kanye exudes that in spades though it might be undercut somewhat with mental health issues mm. though the collaboration with with um, Paul McCartney, you are totally right on that. The, the song is called Two Fingers, and that story goes all the way back to, to the birth of one of his children. Uh, he he was in he was in the hospital waiting room, and he saw a Van Gogh painting where a guy was playing a, uh, a guitar with two fingers. This is Kanye. Yeah, yeah. This is Kanye. No, no, this is this is McCartney. Right. All the way back in oh. like the late in in the late seventies. Oh, I see. And, McCartney sees this picture of a Van Gogh painting with two fingers, and he's like, oh, "I wonder what, uh, I wonder what Cole is playing." So let's, let's, let's have a look. And the whole song basically is born from that, and it's called "When the Wind Is Blowing." And the whole song can be played with two fingers. It's mostly uh, minor chords and and seventh chords, uh, which you can mostly do with two fingers. Although I I play B minor with two fingers because I'm not doing a bar chord in these songs. I hate bar chords. How do you uh, do B? How do you? What was it? B minor. Did you say? Yeah. How do you do you that can, with two fingers? You can do. Hang on. As Sam reaches <laughs> for his guitar, what is it, folks? Um, What's the guitar? You, is this an Epiphone Casino? Uh, this is an this is an, uh, an Ibanez. But it's a sort of a Ibanez version of a. Yeah, this casino, um, I would say. Yeah. So my dad, my dad used to make guitars, and the house is full of them. The house wow. is absolutely full of, full of guitars. But if you just play the uh, the second fret, second string, and the bottom string, second second, second fret, you can get a very 
basic B minor sound. It's, Second it, fret what? Sorry, what was that uh, again? Um, I always forget the the uh, letters. So, but, uh, Second fret, second string, and second fret, bottom string. Okay, yeah, it's it's like it's it's very useful in a day in the life where the entire song is done with regular chords up the top, and then suddenly you have to throw in this B minor. And you're like, oh no, it's not, and then right. you move back up. Right, right. Uh, and, and if you play it quick enough, and you're going, I read the news today, and like sing today a bit louder, it kind of covers <laughs> covers, covers that up. Right. Um, but yeah, um, m- m- uh, he writes a song called When the Wind is Blowing. Then that song was going to be part of an unmade Rupert the Bear movie. He was going to do Ru- uh, Rupert the Bear is uh, an institution here in, in the UK, or at least he was. He's kind of yeah. gone out of pop culture now, but uh, he's a, a cartoon bear uh, who does these wistful uh, countryside adventures. Then that movie falls through, and like you say, uh, Kanye hears hears him do it. Uh, I, I believe he did it on the on the Parkinson show actually at one point as well. Mm. And yeah, made three of the best Paul McCartney songs he's done in recent years. Uh, only one, the song about the, the death of Kanye's mom, is legitimately brilliant. I I think that's absolutely a fantastic song. I was fortunate enough to see McCartney sing four or five seconds live when I saw him in two thousand eighteen. Uh, kind of at the tail end of his touring career, uh, though I've done five episodes in five days on his latest tour, and a lot of people seem to agree that two years off from touring because of the pandemic really has allowed him to rest his voice, get some energy, and um, apparently he's back on back on top form. Oh, great! Um, well, uh, just uh, going 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 back to public perceptions of Paul. The two big ones at the moment that are always in every comment section on every news article or Facebook group or Reddit post, which is, the man's too old, he should go out gracefully and stop making music and stop touring. And again, very ageist comment. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it, it's absolutely baffling because he's done his last two albums, Egypt Station and McCartney 2, are two of my favourites of his. Of course, they're the albums that came out whilst I was a fan and I got to do loads of content about them when they came out. Mm. But they've got some of his best melodies ever. They've got some of his best vocal performances. Uh, and the idea that he can't do it is absolute bogus. I went into the live to, uh, concert uh, with that kind of hesitance, I guess. Uh, it was 2018. It was the last uh, show of the Freshen Up tour. It was at the London O2 Stadium, December 23rd, 2018. And I was like, okay, let's see how this goes. We'll see what happens here. Uh, maybe I'll need a few of these double pints that they serve at the O2 to get me through this. And he comes on stage. I'm going wow at the at the fireworks for live and let die. I'm crying with Blackbird. I'm going na 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 during Hey Jude. Yeah. And anyone who doubts that he can't do it are just watching him through poorly recorded iPhone videos that are yeah. posted on YouTube and Facebook and stuff. When you're there, Andy as the band picking up a lot of the slack and he's got a few vocal tricks that means he doesn't have to stretch his voice in certain ways you are totally sold you are there with 1917 McCartney and it is absolutely magic and I guess a concert a McCartney concert is just like massive song after massive song after massive song and then even the more obscure ones you're just delighted to hear him do some of the obscure ones like didn't he's he's been 
sort of uh, opening the show with Junior's Farm or something recently? Junior's, Junior's Farm was on the tour that I saw him on. Um, he, well, he's actually played it so regularly now that it's no longer one of the obscure ones for him, yeah, for, yeah. Him, for him to play. But Junior's Farm was, um, um, in the grand scheme of things, a minor single from 1974 uh, when they recorded in Nashville. And yeah, just for McCartney nerds such as myself who want him to play Oué a Soleil, a B-side from 1989, or to play Pretty Little Head, uh, a, a failed single from 76, I, I'm so happy to hear songs like that. Um, he's been demoing Women and Wives off the latest album. Uh, but it only made it like less than half the shows off the latest tour. But, and I've said this a thousand times on a thousand shows, um, he's going to be at Glastonbury with St. Vincent, another one of my favourite artists. I've got an album of hers that should be delivered any moment now today. Uh, she did the cover of Women and Wives on his latest album, which is McCartney 3 Reimagined, where he gives his latest album to be reinterpreted by a bunch of new artists, including uh, Josh Homme of the of, uh, Queens of the Stone Age. You've got Beck, uh, you've got Damon Albarn from Blur, Anderson Pack, St. Vincent, as, or, as already mentioned, um, Blood, uh, Blood Orange. Um, oh, what's it? Uh, loads of people. There are loads of people on that album, yeah. all, all, all modern acts. And St. Vincent did the Women and Wives cover. She has just appeared on the Records Day, uh, Record Store Day release, which is Women and Wives McCartney, Women and Wives St. Vincent. They're both going to be at Glastonbury. If they do not go on stage together and sing it, I'm going to be so absolutely heartbroken. It's going to be too much for me. I don't want. Are you going to Glastonbury? No, festivals is not my thing. No, too many, too many crowds and uh, agoraphobia. I suppose. Yeah, not not enough concrete roofs uh, (laughs) there to uh, to uh, keep me. Though I could just be, I could do it, but I wouldn't remember much of it. That's all I'll yeah, say. Yeah, okay. I'd wanna I'd wanna remember it. <laughs> yeah. Although I, I don't remember leaving the McCartney gig that I saw because the aforementioned double pint was uh, available to me. Double pints. Yeah, double pints at uh, the O2. I, I suppose the reason for that is because sometimes getting to the bar can be uh difficult. So if you you know, you you can only get to the bar once every, you know, 15, 20 minutes, it takes you that long to queue up, so you, when you're there, you might as well get a big pint. Well, they well they give you this little tray with six slots, so I walked away with 12 pints for me and my friend, which was absolutely fan, 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 fantastic. And my memory of getting there is very vivid, because I've told the story so many times, because we had to move seats, and we ended up getting closer to the to the, to the stage, which was, which was great. Um, and then apparently... I just blacked out on the way out. I do not remember leaving at all. I I, I rarely ever blackout drunk. I'm a, normally I'm a, I'm a very compass mentor drunk, as my father used to say. But I I, I ended up having to pay my friend a hundred pounds uh, for a taxi cleanup fare. Which oh is dear. Oh, very, and that's not even the most embarrassing story of the day. And I won't tell the most embarrassing one on air. <laughs> no, you could save that for later if you like. Um, so. Um, Okay, I don't think you have, but have you ever met Paul? No, uh, I've, I've spoken to his drummer from uh, Ram and the early Wings era, and I've spoken to Lawrence Juba, his guitarist from yeah. the latter Wings era. Um, and I'm trying to get interviews with like various producers of his and stuff like that. What, I've what, never what, had any uh, contact from MPL or Apple or, any, or anything like that. I don't think the, the, the upper echelons of the Beatles world really take the podcasting fandom all that seriously 
you know you're never going to get i mean if if they did you'd have paul appearing on something about the beatles or things we said today the 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 bigger the the bigger shows but yeah. hey yeah. You, you know if paul ever wants to uh, hit me up you know you, you know where i am did you hear him on the adam buxton podcast Oh, boiled my blood that show did. Why? Like, Adam, Why? just just ask him about the obscure seventies and eighties stuff. Stop asking. <laughs> you know, because oh, I mean, I get it? annoyed that people still ask Paul the same questions. Like, so what's it like writing your own music, Paul? And then you know, tell us about Let It Be. Like Paul has told the story about Let It Be, Yesterday, Hey Jude, and the Long and Winding Road, and the breakup of the Beatles, and how much he loves John. In in perpetuity now to the to the to the point whereby I start skipping through interviews the moment when it when he when he. But I thought that Adam's uh, uh, interview didn't touch on those things. Instead, he decided to ask him like what he likes to watch on TV and what he eats for lunch and stuff. I thought that was nice. Was that when McCartney mentioned that he? He liked an old sitcom that I like as well, and like he watches things like Storage Wars. I believe McCartney watched right, as well. and he watches Would I Lie to You, and and he likes <laughs> yeah. Lee Mack. Yeah, it's great to think that McCartney knows who Lee Mack is. I just think that's that that is hilarious. That's that great. Is, I mean, that's, that's another yeah. another reason why I like McCartney is that he's still down to earth. You know, after all of this, all of the things that have happened to him, he still manages to. It, it appears that he manages to still be a pretty normal, down to earth regular guy yeah the, the guy still likes he, he he still likes a cocktail he still likes a joint he still likes a party he still likes a, a, a nice meal with family and friends he still goes out on the town regularly uh, he's always at other people's concerts he, he Ooh, even yeah. appears to still take public transport sometimes is that is that really real do you think and there were photos of him I guess just before lockdown or maybe just after, I don't remember, on a train. And you just think, is that staged or does he really do that? You wonder if there's a man with a Kalashnikov just off just off camera, just 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 ready to mow down someone. Just in case someone leaps at him or something like that, yeah. Does he Well like in in the back of that photo you can see me like dashing dashing towards him before I'm tackled (laughs) to the floor. Uh. Um yeah. My uncle met Paul once. Oh. Yeah, I know. Tell me about it. I'm. Just, I, I. I will just. I will retell this story um, a Again. million times. So he was in. Uh, he was in Rye, which is where Paul has a studio. I think right. Mm-hmm. Hogs Hill Mill. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so my uncle was in a an art shop. Okay, and uh, in the queue, and he'd been taking photos of birds. He's a bird watcher. My uncle. So he had his camera and stuff, and he heard, so so so's my uncle. That's that, 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 that's 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 a lot of. I'm sure a lot of English people's uncles are bird watchers. I'm, yes. I'm sure that's kind of quite an English thing. Um, and uh, there was like something going on in the queue, like a credit card payment wasn't going through or something like that. A bit of a kerfuffle happening, and uh, my uncle Nick sort of started to pay attention. He realised, oh wait a minute, I know that voice, and. Um, just literally standing right in front of him, the guy in front of him who was talking to the checkout person um, turned round uh, for some reason, and my uncle like came face to face with Paul. And now, if that had been me, I would have completely ruined it because I'm no good in those situations. Because I, you know, it's it's difficult when you come face to face with someone who you love and respect, and you, you you don't know quite how to put it, and then you end up just doing it all wrong, and it's it's awkward. Um, 
I remember when I uh, skived and bunked off school. I wagged off school once. I'm trying to get as many words, uh, diff- different words for uh, not going to school when 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 you should be. And there was a Michael Caine autobiography signing at the Waterstones uh, here in Birmingham. And me and my friend, we had these great witty lines that that we were going to say to try and make Mike Michael Caine laugh. And then when I got there in front of him. Oh, Thank you very much, and like you know, and that and that was it. There was there was you know, I didn't even get 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 to say you know you're only supposed to sign the bloody cover, you know, some, <laughs> some something like that. And uh, yeah, yeah, uh, I I met Eddie Izzard once, and he's a oh. comedy hero of mine. Yeah, right. um, um, Eddie Izzard also hosted and did the comparing for the concert for Linda when she died. Oh, really? Yeah. So he is a friend of the McCartney's. 100%. Wonderful. Okay, so I, I uh, long story short, I ended up sitting at a dinner table, and uh, I one of my friends was on my left, and then the next person was Eddie Izzard. So I was basically having dinner with Eddie Izzard and some and some other people, and um, like I was trying to be cool, and all evening I wasn't really, I was just you know I just wanted to like shove everyone else out the way and just talk to Eddie, and it, it, at the end of the evening I met, I ended up standing next to him, but I didn't know how to I didn't know what to say to him and I I just kind of ended up rambling for a while without really getting to the point about how uh, when I used to live in Japan and I didn't have a TV I would only listen to his CDs over and over again and to the point where I just sort of remembered all of his material and it's even sort of seeped into my head and I've sort of started to take on the voice of Eddie Izzard sometimes. And, 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 and so I was sort of like trying to say this all and he was standing there exhausted because he'd just done three shows, one in English, one in French and one in German uh, as part of the D-Day commemorations in, uh, in, in Normandy. So he wow. jetted over from Chicago to do this show and then he was about to go. So he was exhausted and I was there rambling. He was probably like trying to stay conscious while listening to me. And then I ended it by saying, by sort of looming into him and saying, um, you're in my head now. Oh, and- God. Oh, no. <laughs> no. It's one of those things where, you know, like I'm trying to get to sleep at night and my brain is reminding me of all the stupid things I've ever done. And that is that is one of the ones that regularly comes back to me. So anyway, so the back to the story, my uncle is face to face with Paul and my uncle is not like me. He's brilliant at this situation. He, he meets famous people all the time. I don't know how he does it. And he's just totally cool and natural with them and he just becomes their best friend instantly. So he's he, he just said, Paul, what are you doing here? And Paul instantly was like, oh, you know, I've just come in to buy some whatever, some some paints or something. And Paul said to Nick, what are you doing here? And Nick was like, oh, I've just, you know, I'm, I don't know, I've just been taking photos of birds recently. And Paul's like, oh, let's have a look at the photos. So he starts showing him the photos of all the birds he's been taking on his camera. And uh, the uh, grey wagtail is one of the birds. And Paul's like, that's my favourite bird. Oh, my God. And, oh my God. you know, and my uncle manages to mention that his wife, my aunt, is a vegetarian. And, you know, so they're getting on like a house on fire. Unbelievable! Don't know how he does it. Uh, that's the you know he, he didn't invite him for lunch or anything, but uh, still, good story. Happy with that one, even um, though it wasn't me. I I'd be hard pressed not to be a little uh, 
naughty in that moment. I'll probably just ask inappropriate questions that uh, other 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 interviewers are uh, too reluctant to ask. What would you but ask? I think. Are you going to release uh, uh, Hot Hits and Cold Cuts as part of the McCartney Archive Collection? Uh, Hot Hits and Cold Cuts is an album that was going to come out in the late 70s, then the late 80s, and it's kind of been abandoned, but it it was a, a project of all of his B-side material and unreleased songs to be put on either a single or double album. And there are so many songs he's done, songs like... Well, a lot of them have ended up on archive re-releases and has kind of invalidated the, the project, but, you know, songs like Water Spout or Daytime, Nighttime Suffering, one was a B-side, one's unreleased, uh, all of the stuff he did uh, with Billy Joel's producer in the 80s that ended up being like B-sides and the Flaming Pie stuff. There's loads of unreleased... He's, he, he'd arguably got more unreleased material than he has released material, and some of it has leaked, thankfully. Uh, some of it by him because he did a radio show in the 90s where he played a bunch of his unreleased stuff but if he were to release that that would really satisfy us mega nerds yeah massive i thought that you would ask him about the time he spent in that japanese prison and what actually happened i'd love Uh, to i i i wish he would uh, tell us all about that a good question i'd like to ask him would be look paul everyone says that weed it has gotten a lot stronger throughout the years and there is no greater expert on this to ask than you but has marijuana fundamentally changed since the 1960s could you have a whole joint to yourself in the 1960s and still get on with recording you know, you know yeah. What I mean? uh, yeah 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 so many different things to ask um uh, what's your what's your favorite paul story i mean story that he's told or story about him Oh, it's it's it might be apocryphal, but it's from the nineteen eighty six sessions where he's recording with oh dear, I, uh, average white man, band guy. Man looks up something on computer. Uh, press to play. It's the guy who produced Synchronicity for the Police. Uh, yeah, I don't know who that is, but Hugh Hugh Padgham. Uh, real iconic eighties producer, kind of helped develop the eighties sound as we know it and there was some sort of disagreement on what should be done and Hugh Padgham is supposedly giving Paul some instruction and Paul quips back with look mate did you write yesterday no you didn't I did alright and I absolutely love that I think that's brilliant because that that actually shows him to be a bit human and to have a temper and yeah. to be able to draw upon his own successes. Um, there was also, uh, for the next album, uh, Flowers in the Dirt, he was collaborating with Elvis Costello, another great um, authorial voice. And they're collaborating on a song, and Paul mentions offhand that, oh, maybe this should sound a bit like the Human League. Uh, and then uh, supposedly Elvis Costello has to leave the room to calm down because he's so <laughs> upset at what Paul has just said <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he didn't want to snap back at him which is a brilliant story I love Absolutely. that idea it's like, this should sound like the Human League and Elvis just takes his headphones off and just leaves the room <laughs> he, has, he, he has to like he has, he has to get a pillow and just go <laughs> <laughs> the Human League um I, I personally like the um, the Carl Perkins story. I mean, it's hard to beat that one, don't you think? You know the one Which I mean. Which one? There are a couple. The the big one, you know, the one about uh, the song that that's. Uh, this is after John has died, and uh, I'll try and I'll try and give a version of the story. Uh, so I might get it wrong, Sam. 
but you can correct me. So this is after John has died. I think it's for the Tug of War sessions, is that yes, right? Yes, this, this is a song called Get It, a duet between them, yeah. Right, so Carl Perkins, who uh, was a sort of country guitarist and songwriter who the Beatles were really inspired by, Paul and George especially, I think. Um, And uh, they did cover versions of a couple of his songs. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, Elvis's big song, Blue Suede Shoes, is arguably the most iconic uh, Carl Perkins song, I'd I'd, I'd say, but uh, Honey Don't for Ringo as well. Yeah, so a a musical hero of of Paul's. And so um, this is in the 80s, a couple of years after John had died. And uh, I expect that Paul, well, we know that Paul was, you know, suffering from a lot of um, grief and, and, and so on, understandably. So he's working on this album. He's invited Carl Perkins to come and record a song with him. And Carl Perkins is staying with Paul and Linda at their house for a while. Uh, is it their house in the, in the Caribbean? It would have been at wherever they were at in Montserrat because they were recording at Air, George Martin's Air Studios in Montserrat at the time. Uh, the only reason I know this is because there was a concert for Montserrat uh, in the 90s after a hurricane had devastated the island and it was Carl Perkins' last live performance. Ah, OK. So, Carl Perkins has been staying with Paul and Linda. They've been working on this song and Carl is a sweet guy and he... Um, has com- on his last day he reveals to them that he's composed a song for them and it's a song is this right yeah yeah, yeah he's, he's composed a song for them and it's to sort of it's the it's his way of saying thanks for the generosity they've shown him and for welcoming him into their home and stuff like that so the, they're sitting around and carl plays the song to paul and linda and at the end of the song paul is moved to tears he, he he is like deeply moved by the song and he he can't control himself and he's he starts crying and he has to go out he has to leave the room um because he's so upset and um linda turns to carl and says carl how did you know how could you possibly know and carl's thinking well i don't know what you're talking about know what and linda says the the, the words in your song how did you know so the the last line of the song is something like um think of me every now and then dear friend yes is that which right are the last which are the last words that supposedly lennon ever said to paul uh, in, in their last phone conversation right so without realizing it carl had included these these words which were you know uh, think about me every now and then dear friend something along those lines mm-hmm. and uh yeah so uh carl says what what do you mean I, I don't know what you're talking about linda and linda says those words those are the last things that john lennon ever said to paul um when paul had visited john at the dakota and um then uh you know when when paul sort of left and john turned to him and said you know just think about me every now and then won't you and those that's the last thing that he ever said to him so uh, extraordinary that Carl would include that in the song and apparently they all agreed they all agreed afterwards after you know they'd spoken about it and stuff they all agreed that this must have been John Lennon attempting to reach Paul through Carl's song 
Yes, and Paul is someone who greatly... I wouldn't say he's a religious person, but he's definitely a spiritual person. And once Linda had died, he saw her in in the wind and in white doves and in the rain. And he's definitely someone who sees that that kind of thing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the kind of person where every every time I squish a spider, I think, oh, God, is that my dad reincarnated? Have I just, squ- <laughs> have I, have I, have I just squashed him again? Your so, dad keeps trying to come back to you as different... In- insects and you keep yeah. squashing them well no if you if you believe the karmic thing you come back yeah. as a lower life form after being human so like he's not going to come back to me as a wildebeest or, in, or, or anything so he's <laughs> got to come back so like you know he's a house spider then he's a garden spider and, you know he's just working his way through the spiders at this point <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's about to give you the message and then you just squash him he's like oh i've got to come start again yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I did just rip off a, a Bill a Bill Bailey bit there. Uh, I believe the line is, uh, I come back as a baboon's viper and then a pit's viper and then it's going to be 100 years before I get any legs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love Bill Bailey. Um, okay, what about, uh, final thing maybe, Sam, uh, Paul McCartney impressions. Do you do a Paul McCartney impression? So um, something that I do with my show is that I do a, a great amount of impressions, and <laughs> I've always I've always thought that Paul's Liverpool accent is actually quite similar to the Birmingham accent. You know, the Birmingham accent. You know, just do a bit of that. It's 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 a lot softer. And something that I have to do is I have to scratch my nose because a lot, of, Paul does lot that. of nose scratching is true. Yeah, yeah uh, thumbs up, scratch scratching my nose. Uh, I've based my beard and my general appearance on sort of nineteen sixty nine to seventy two Paul as well. Uh, that's that is no mere accident, but I I do like Beatle impressions because they've all got such distinct voices that it's very easy to do caricature I'm, I'm not saying I do an impre- I, I, I do a caricature of McCartney so, yeah. so you've got McCartney the kind of soft one and then you've got Ringo so all you got to do is think Thomas the Tank Engine went over the hill and then he went down the hill <laughs> um, and then you've got George Harrison which is a bit more of a sharper kind of uh, fewer words and a bit of a rasp at the end of each word, like that. Um, yeah. And then you've got fucking John Lennon just over the top fucking scouse. You can't, you know. You know. <laughs> Caricatures. Uh, yeah. 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 I can't uh, really do the others. I can do Paul. I can do a bit of, you know, the thing about uh, Ringo is he's a bit like Paul, but everything goes off like this. Yeah. You know. No, no more autographs. I'm too busy. No more autographs. I'm saying this with peace and bloody love. No more autographs. Yeah. Oh. And and Paul, as you said, is a lot of there's a lot of scratching of the nose and the no, finger uh, pointing. A lot of yeah. pointing of fingers and sort of, you know, little shake of the head, little nod yeah. of the head like that, and maybe an, the no, eyes go up it? and around, you know. So, uh, Paul, could you tell us about the new album? So the thing about me and John in the Beatles was, oh, God! (laughs) Paul, what did you have for breakfast? Well, you know, scrambled eggs, you know, not not many people know. That was the original title of uh, Yesterday, you know, which I dreamt, by the way. It's like, we know, Paul! Sam, we could keep going and going and going forever, but uh, we can't really. (laughs) We we must stop at some point. Uh, But it's really interesting to talk to you. I, I, I wonder about my listeners in different countries and whether they've been able to keep up with all of this, they can let us know. But listeners, if you want to hear more of uh, Sam talking about Paul McCartney in great detail in this way, then please listen to his podcast, Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's available wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Sam, thanks so much for your contribution today. 
All right, mate. And uh, yeah, have a nice day and enjoy uh, watching Paul at Glastonbury on TV and all the rest of it. I'll be doing. A, I'll be doing a live episode. Actually, I'll be doing a live uh, uh, commentary, which which should be fun with my old podcasting mate who did the Tom White show with me. So it's all come full circle. It, it's all it come has full circle. Fantastic. Okay. Great. Peace and love. So that was Sam Wiles talking to me about Paul McCartney. Thanks very much to Sam. Remember, his podcast is called Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. If you are a fan of Paul McCartney and you'd like to hear Sam's episodes discussing his career and work, then check it out. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Paul or Nothing podcast, that's what it's called. So, here at the end, I just wanted to give some additional comments and some rambling from me. Okay? So, right, now, first of all, I'd like to just say, how are you? How are you doing, listeners? Are you okay? That was quite intense, wasn't it, I think? I mean, you can tell me what you think, but I predict that that conversation was fairly intense. As I said at the start, Sam has the gift of the gab. I was out-rambled in an episode of my own podcast there. I loved that, I have to say. I loved um, recording this one. As I said before, I sometimes listen to Sam on his podcast, and so it was both weird and amazing to actually be talking to him in person, like I stepped through the looking glass of podcasting or something. Um, But well done to you for listening up to the end and beyond here. This is where I now have a bit of an extra ramble for the audio listeners. This bit isn't in the YouTube version. So I've got some questions for you. First of all, how difficult was that conversation for you to follow? Um, Could you notice Sam's slight Birmingham accent? Did you learn anything new about Paul McCartney from this conversation? Is there anything that you would like to add to what we said? Any, anything you'd like to add, feel free. You can do so in the comment section. And are there any questions that you felt we could have tried to answer? Any other questions? Maybe I can answer them in another episode sometime. Just let me know your thoughts. You can write them in the comment section. Um, but I, I still feel there's a lot more I'd like to say about this topic. You know I'm a big Paul McCartney fan and I just feel like there's definitely more that I could say. Maybe, I suppose, what I really want to do is try to communicate to those people who are not fans of Paul McCartney in the way that I am. Now, it's quite difficult in this situation because I don't want to feel like I'm trying to persuade you that Paul McCartney is great because it doesn't really work like that, does it? You know, it's like, you know, when when a a friend of yours tries to tries to get you into some music, like your friend really loves a certain band and they try to persuade you that you should like them too. But it doesn't work like that. You can't really be persuaded to like music or be persuaded to like a thing, like a TV show or something. It doesn't work like that. Normally, you have to just um, sort of discover a thing yourself. You have to discover it in your own way 
And if you've discovered it yourself personally, you will probably feel a, a, a closer connection to that thing and you will like it in a more natural and private sort of way. So, you know, I can't really persuade you to, to that Paul McCartney is a great thing. And also, of, of course, it's a matter of taste. It's a matter of personal taste. But maybe what I can do is continue to sort of just say some things that weren't included in the conversation just to maybe put into words um, why I am a fan of Paul McCartney. So one comment I got after talking about McCartney on the podcast, or maybe after talking about the Beatles on the podcast last year, one comment I got from someone was this. It was basically, why do people worship Paul McCartney like a god? Or why do people worship the Beatles like a god? So my response to that is that I think that's kind of missing the point. We don't worship him like a god. For me, Paul McCartney is not like a god. He's very much a human being. One of the things that we love about Paul is his humanness, his relatability, his sort of... He's, he's, he's an ordinary person, which is somehow uh, what makes him even more extraordinary. Does that make sense? So I, I look up to Paul and I respect him, but I don't worship him like he's an infallible deity or something. I don't consider everything he does to be perfect and I don't sort of put him up on a higher level to other people. Of course, he has his flaws like everyone, but I appreciate the way he carries on and the way he does his work and lives his life despite those personal flaws. You know, no one is perfect. He's also undoubtedly an exceptional person. So as well as being an ordinary person, he is also in some other ways an exceptional person because he has amazing talents as a songwriter and a musician. But at the same time, he is an ordinary person. He's just a guy from a modest background. He could have been anyone really, you know. I mean, it's a weird thing that I don't know, like uh, a lot of this is just a question of chance events, like the the fact that Paul uh, met John Lennon and those two individuals um, sort of suited each other and complemented each other so well that they brought out the best in each other and brought each other to a higher level. And it's just an amazing sort of coincidence that they both that they met, that they lived in the same town, you know, and that they ended up working together and becoming such great friends. It's just a coincidence. It's just pure chance, really. You know, um, I mean, anything could have happened to Paul. He could have not gone into music. He could have ended up becoming a teacher and lived a, a much more conventional life or something. But he didn't. I mean, it's weird. It's sort of chaotic, the way these things happen. He happened to, you know, sort of go into music and something in him was was released, this sort of latent, this, uh, this talent, this thing that he had within him for whatever reason, because of the way he was exposed to music and stuff in his childhood. I, I don't really know. But um, that was was set free uh for for some strange cosmic reason i don't know he could have he could have been anyone though 
And that gives me inspiration because, you know, like everyone has flaws. Everyone is a normal human. And I'm sure that Paul, for example, is aware of his flaws. But it's how you live with your imperfections and how you deal with the challenges and difficulties of life, how you um, deal with the hand that has been dealt to you. So to me, Paul McCartney is not like a god, but he's sort of, I don't know, he's more like a, like a friend or something. Although obviously he's not my friend. I don't know him personally. He doesn't know me or anything. But, you know, he, he's kind of like just someone who I root for, someone I support and someone who I enjoy spending time with in a kind of way when I listen to his music and watch him in, in, in interviews. Obviously, he doesn't know me. Although, who knows, maybe he listens to my podcast, because after all, everyone listens to this podcast, don't they? Uh, I suppose there's a there's always a, some tiny, minuscule chance that somehow Paul McCartney has come across Luke's English podcast. If that is the case, hi, Paul, how are you doing? Nice to have you listening to my podcast. Do you fancy coming on? Do you fancy coming on the show sometime? It would be a pleasure to, to chat with you. Uh, we can talk about anything you know, anything at all. I don't have to ask you all those normal questions. I could ask you about anything. It doesn't have to be about, you know, all the usual things. We could talk about anything at all. Like, you pick a subject. We'll talk about it. Feel free to get in touch with me, Paul. LukeTeacher at Hotmail.com. Yeah, I'm still using Hotmail. Yeah, it's good. Hotmail's good. Anyway, I wonder what uh, email system you use, Paul. Right, I don't know if Paul's listening to this, but, you know, as I've said, everyone listens to this, don't they? So, um, somehow I think that Paul does appreciate the connection he has with his audience. I mean, of course he does. Um, he communicates with his audience through his music. I like Paul's humanity. I can see him as a normal guy in the midst of extraordinary circumstances, but there are also extraordinary things about him. But in the middle of it all, he's remained surprisingly down to earth and level headed. Well, that's, you know, certainly the impression that he gives. I believe it, though. But having said that, he is, he is not completely normal. Can you make up your mind, Luke? Is he normal or not? Well, he's both, isn't he? Normal and, and uh, extraordinary. Um, because who can do the things he does? It's impressive to me, but he's not a god. He's very much a human being with weaknesses and strengths and different sides to his personality. Not all of them good, of course, but this is what makes him captivating. I'm not looking at, I mean, you know, what are the things that... I'm not sure what the weaknesses are. I don't know. But anyway, let's, let me try and explain why I think Paul is great. So obviously there's the songwriting. He writes these great songs with these melody lines, these songs that just seem to come out of him. Even now, in his advanced years, he still is somehow tapped into a kind of songwriting muse. Um, uh, again, it's a question of taste, but he's still productive, and I respect that. He's managing to find some f sort of fresh inspiration, uh, you know, even, in, even as an 80-year-old. Uh, but the songwriting, I mean, how can, what can be said about his songwriting? Melodies. Melodies. That's the main thing that he's famous for. Wonderful melodies, but also a certain 
simplicity or what sounds like simplicity, but it's actually very complex, which is a very difficult thing to achieve. When when making a song, when writing a song, when when you, when you listen to a song, right, that you you expect the song to to do certain things, right? When you're listening to a piece of music, there is a certain expectation. You think, oh, the, the melody's going to go this way. The chord progression will go that way. You know, you kind of expect songs to go a certain way. But w- when songs are really great is when they go in a new direction, but a direction that doesn't feel unnatural. It's not necessarily the way you would predict the song to go, but it goes in this new direction and it sounds right, but it's unexpected. And often Paul's songs do that. And they, they, they have these satisfying shapes to them, satisfying textures. Um, Paul's bass playing is great. I've always enjoyed listening to the way he plays the bass guitar. And that's, that includes the old Beatles stuff, but also the stuff from his Wings career as well. Always good bass lines. And, I mean, if we just take one album as an example, Sgt Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. People always talk about this as a seminal um, album or some important moment in culture, which of course it is. But really, when I listen to it, I just love listening to the bass lines. I love listening to... The, the notes he chooses and the rhythmic way that he plays. He kind of plays just before the beat or just behind the beat, which gives everything a, a swing or a kind of a groove to it. And the bass lines are a joy to follow. Um, they're kind of like Motown bass lines. Um, just really great bass playing and it's always a real pleasure to follow the way he plays bass um in his songs um performing um he's a he's a great performer um i've never actually seen him play live i mean i have seen him on stage but i've never seen one of his concerts i was at the neil young concert at hyde park a few years ago and uh, at the end of the show, Neil played A Day in the Life, which is a Beatles song. And Paul McCartney arrived on stage and joined him, which was a special moment because, it, you know, it's like, oh, my God, it's actually Paul. Oh, my God, I'm seeing Paul with my own eyes on stage. So I have seen him. Um, but, yeah, he's a great performer. Even now, uh, uh, he, you know, he performed Glastonbury, did about two hours and um, just great song after great song after great song. And although his voice is not what it used to be, he's still able to hit a lot of those high notes and things. And he's got this energy. Uh, I don't know how he does it. I also saw the Rolling Stones recently, just last weekend, in fact. Similar experience. Incredible levels of energy. How do these guys still do it? Where do they get the energy from? Um like Mick Jagger is still out there doing all those dance moves and still captivating the audience. I mean, it's just impressive. As a lyricist, Paul McCartney is interesting. Some of his lyrics are better than others, but I do enjoy his lyrics and trying to work out what he means um, and sort of trying to read between the lines and wondering what what he's really getting at. Um 
He's an avant-garde artist. Um, back in the 60s, uh, he was interested in avant-garde art and brought that to the Beatles, which, you know, is another dimension, another interesting side. He was a cultural trendsetter. Um, as a personality, he's always been quite gregarious and outgoing, um, meaning quite sort of social and, and the rest of it, but um, with a with a curiosity and a, and a certain level of introspection as well. He's certainly uh, connected to his own musical inspiration. Hmm. Am I making sense? Another question. Would I like to have a pint with Paul McCartney? Yes, of course I would. But I hope that he would be in, in an in, I hope that he would be in an entertaining mood and willing to share stories and curious about things and willing to make conversation, not just kind of performing to me or giving me the sort of media friendly version of himself. I think sometimes Paul does present a sort of media friendly version of himself, which he probably does just to just to protect his own uh privacy he'll kind of present the kind of media poll where he tells his stories and gives his his normal answers to the questions that he's always asked but i don't blame him for doing that because probably for years and years and years for decades people have been asking him the same questions and so he kind of has the same stock answers prepared um i don't blame him for doing that um and I understand that he sort of presents that version of himself because it's important to, to keep a certain amount of privacy and to keep a certain amount of space that's just your own. You can't give everything away. You can't give all of your personal and private space and all your thoughts and your secrets. You can't give it all away. There has to be something left for yourself, a, a private personal space where you can be yourself. Um, otherwise, he'd just get exhausted and he'd be worn out, right? Um, what else? I'm sure he is guarded in public and I totally understand. When the world sees you as public property... You have to protect your privacy quite carefully. Why should he share everything with us? He's already shared so much. He's lived in the public eye for so long. There's no need for him to sacrifice his life for the public, I think. Uh, another reason I like Paul is that he's funny. He's a funny guy. He's a good storyteller. I love the way he tells you know, stories about things that have happened to him in his life. I love those stories, even though he's repeated a lot of them. But, you know, there's like the story of when George and him went hitchhiking and they stayed in a, they met some Welsh guys and went back and stayed in, in, in the house of one of them. And they saw the spiders on the wall and they uh, got all scared and they killed the spiders and they came down in the morning and the, the mother of the house said, Oh, you know, did you see our, our, our friends, Jimmy and Jemima, the spiders and George and Paul were like, oh, oh, what? No, no spiders. And they didn't realise they'd just killed like these, 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 they, they, the family had even given these spiders names and they just like, just ruthlessly killed them. <laughs> uh, I did a podcast episode about that story. Some intensive listening. But there's loads of stories he's told. I love listening to his stories. And he's got that scouse sort of sense of humour. 
the, the Liverpool sense of humour, which is something I really enjoy. And so, yeah, he does seem like a down-to-earth normal person, despite everything that's happened to him. I respect the way he handles fame. I love the diversity of his music. And there is a lot of diversity in there. It's not just Hey Jude and Yesterday. There's a lot of lots of different stuff that he's done. You know, he do, he tries to mix it up a lot. And he obviously loves all different forms of music. And that's reflected in his, in the work that he does. So I like that. I like his open-mindedness and his, his willingness to absorb all different types of music and then sort of, you know, uh, reflect that in the music he makes himself. I like his originality. I think that he has, at various moments in his career, been ahead of his time. Like, for example, that kind of electronic album that he came out with um, at the end of the 70s, McCartney 2. I love that. It sounds kind of really daft and wacky, but I really like that. I I love the fact that this guy who's like one of the most famous musicians in the world, one of the most commercially successful people, releases an album of weird, wacky, experimental, electronic jams that he's done on his own. I just find that really fun. Um, I also think it's fascinating the relationship he had with John Lennon. Obviously, people have talked about this and explored this so much. He also had relationships with, you know, the women in his life as well, like Linda, another beautiful relationship there, and Nancy, his current wife. But, I mean, it's true. The relationship he had with John Lennon is absolutely fascinating. People seem to assume that that Paul, uh, after the breakup of the Beatles, that Paul was desperate to work with John again, as if he really needed him. Arguably, John needed Paul more, but was reluctant to admit it. I don't know. But Paul went off and did his, his own thing quite successfully. But of course, I'm sure he was keen to rekindle his successful partnership with John after he'd proven himself away from Lennon. Who wouldn't want to work with John Lennon, especially when you've already when you're already so close to him and you have an incredible bond that nobody can explain. So, uh, yeah, the thing about him and John is, yeah, they had an incredible connection that was almost sort of unexplainable. They were very, very close and understood each other in ways that no one else could quite comprehend. And they were connected. Even during the 70s, when they were apart, they somehow still were communicating with each other in their songs. And it's surprising the number of songs that they wrote, which arguably are written for each other and about each other and inspired by each other. So even when they were apart, they were still somehow collaborating and inspiring each other. Um, And um, lots of other things about Paul. I, I, I love the way that he's... He seems to be a family man and a father... Um, you know, and that's, I, I respect that as a, as a father myself. I mean, I don't really know, obviously, I don't really know how he's been as a father and, you know, whether his how his kids really are. Um, but I'd like to think that if his kids have, have had, like, if it must have been hard for his kids to grow up with Paul McCartney as their father. But I think that him and Linda did try their best to raise the kids to be normal as much as possible. There's a lot more I could say. You know what? I feel like I'm gonna I, I'm gonna stop now because uh, this could go on far too long, 
and I don't want this episode to go on that much. I just thought that I would have a bit of a Paul McCartney ramble here, but I'll leave it. I'll leave it. I'll just say that I'll come back. I'll come back to talk about Paul again on the podcast. It may be this would be easier if I could have a conversation, uh, a slightly more structured conversation with a guest. Maybe it could be my cousin Oliver, who also is a Paul McCartney fan. We often talk about Paul and the Beatles together. That might be good. What do you think, listeners? Would you like that? Would you like me to invite Ollie on the podcast to to, to have a Macca chat, a Paul, a, a Paul McCartney conversation? I, I'd like to do that. So I, I, I will see if that's possible. Uh, Ollie lives in California these days, so it's quite difficult to arrange a, a suitable time when we can record together. And he's very busy but maybe I can do that. So that could be another story for another time because there are other things that I could say about Paul. The stories are maybe the best thing. Just Paul McCartney stories. That would be good. Um, But anyway, ladies and gents, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Luke's English Podcast. I hope you're doing well. As I said before, let me know your thoughts. How difficult was this conversation for you to follow? Uh, Did you learn anything new about Paul McCartney? Is there anything you would like to add? And are there any questions that you felt we could have tried to answer? Uh, Okay, leave your comments in the comments section. Thank you very much for being a listener. Uh, Okay, thanks so much. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. Nice one. And thanks for supporting the podcast. Um either by listening or by becoming a premium subscriber uh, or sending a donation, which you can do through the website. Your donations and your support make this podcast possible. So thank you for all your support. Okay? All right. There'll be more episodes coming soon. But for now, it's just time for me to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.